Hey, Soulmates, welcome to uh, Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome to the discussion on this Thursday. We're following new reports on the warning from the NAACP for Congress and the rapper who's planning to run for mayor in Georgia. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Plus, we're continuing the conversation on black mental health and the newest project coming from Serena Williams. They're the stories that impact our people. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our big conversation for the day in Somerset, Kentucky. A teacher is under fire for allowing a student to dress as a member of the Ku Klux Klan, a notorious white supremacist hate group. Now, the incident took place at Southern Middle School, where eighth grader Jackson Clark defended his teacher's decision, claiming there was no racist intent and that other black students didn't feel targeted. The teacher, who remains unidentified, has been placed on leave, according to the superintendent. Now, the student will receive education about the KKK's history instead of facing discipline. Social media users expressed shock and questioned the parents' role and the teacher's influence. Courtney, mm -hmm. what can I say? I mean, you Nothing. know, this, this is why we need to teach history in schools mm -hmm. because there are young people that may not know, uh, but that teacher should have known. Mm -hmm. That teacher should have known when, when that teacher gave the assignment for the students to dress up as historical figures. And of all people, mm -hmm. The boy chose the first KKK Grand Wizard. We knew something was up then, right? I mean, who does that? And, 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 and if these young people don't know that the KKK Grand Wizard, that folks like Hitler and other people who have committed crimes against humanity, mm -hmm. right? Probably not the kind of historical figure you want to dress up for for this class assignment. If they don't know that, we got a problem. Well, there's like a, a couple of lines of defense, if you will. And I know that we've been squabbling with the, with the good float folks in Florida, in particular DeSantis, and there's some folks in Texas and really sprinkled all around the country who don't want to see this type of history, who don't want to see this type of education, you know, in school and in our books. But the first line of defense is at home. And you're sort of kind of left a little defenseless if you have parents who condone or think this is okay. It's like, so where do you go from here? So you know, it's like you're under attack in regards to trying to defend uh, the idea that this is the type of information that needs to be in our schools, that needs to be discussed and talked about, whether it starts at home or in the school, everybody needs to be on the same page. And until that happens, we're going to still have kids coming to school in KKK costumes thinking it's okay. Well, parents and teachers need to get it together. I agree. Just saying. Well, a Missouri high school sophomore was suspended for three days after recording her teacher using a racist slur in class. The student, Mary Walton, captured the teacher using the N-word twice in a one-minute video. Okay, so I'm gonna say right now, as a teacher, if you want to keep your job, this is in the front. I'm not, I'm not calling anyone. I understand. I can say the words. The student objected to the teacher's language, but he defended himself, saying that he can say the word without calling anyone by it. The teacher is no longer employed by the school district, and the student's lawyers uh, and mother are demanding an apology and the removal of the suspension from her record. The district's policy prohibits students from recording faculty members without consent, and the school stands by its handling of the situation. But when you, when you, okay, so the teacher no longer works with, with the school system, so maybe that's saying, you know, he shouldn't have been using the word, but when you really press down 
on this student's suspension, knowing that that's going to tarnish uh, their record for doing something that, you know, would deem to be correct, seeing as though we know what this word means, we know we shouldn't be using it, whether it be the culture or outside of the culture, and for it to be used in um, that particular setting. And then for the teacher, the, the teacher knew better because the teacher said, well, I'm not calling anybody mm. the N-word, I'm just using the N-word. So. Uh, kudos that the teacher is no longer in the system, which says that there was something wrong with the use, period. But to continue to have this baby suffer, to do what she felt uh, was being done right, which was to say, hey, this isn't appropriate. And to really lock in on that suspension and keep that on her record, I, I think that's a problem as I, well. You know what I also think is a problem? Why was that teacher in the classroom in the first place? Is this the first time? Is this the first year? Is this the first class where this teacher has ever thought it was okay to use that kind of language in front of young people, that mm -hmm. kind of language in a classroom? And so it makes me wonder, what's the track record? You know, uh, oftentimes if it's the first offense, you know, people say, okay, well, we're going to give you a chance. I'm not so sure if this was this teacher's first offense. I wouldn't be surprised if there are multiple offenses, but also, where does, this, where, does the, where does the teachers union stand on this? Do the teachers union stand by teachers like that? You know, is there a zero tolerance policy that exists in that union that says we're not going to protect teachers, you know, that are peddling in, in racism in the classroom? Just saying, something's going up. I mean, you got teachers, you know, giving assignments where you got folks showing up as KKK grand wizards, and then you got teachers out there using the M-word in class. They don't represent the majority of good teachers out there, but it can't just be us calling it out. It's got to be the people or maybe they've right always there that they report that to calling them out and, and putting them out, as they did in this story. Maybe they've always felt that way, but with all this politics and rhetoric and erasion going on, maybe they feel more bold to... Uh, talk about it and be about it. All right, let's go to Missouri, where Democratic Representative Cori Bush has introduced legislation calling for $14 trillion in reparations for black Americans. Now, the resolution aims to address the lasting harm caused by slavery and racist policies. Representative Bush emphasized the moral obligation for the United States to provide reparations during a news conference attended by other lawmakers. The proposal adds to previous Democratic efforts for compensating black Americans while reparations have gained some traction, opposition remains high among white adults and Republicans. Support is strongest among black Americans and young people. The president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson, has cautioned Congress that any resolution to the debt ceiling impasse that places spending caps on federal aid programs would disproportionately harm black communities. Johnson criticized proposals to expand work requirements, labeling them as playing on racist stereotypes and masquerading as sound policy. He called on Congress to reject such proposals and emphasized the need for deeper federal investments to ensure the well-being of all Americans. Well, now, while opposition to reparations remains high among Republicans, Johnson urged lawmakers to choose wisely, highlighting the nation's watchful eye on this issue. So, you know, soulmates, this is something we're going to have to pay attention to because basically um, the U.S. is running out of money and the deadline is looming. And if they don't figure out something in Washington, there are going to be a lot of programs that are going to be cut, a lot of people who are going to be who are going to suffer. And because this is my opinion, because, you know, a lot of times people of color or minorities are not held in as high regard as other communities, we're the ones that are 
really, really going to experience and feel these cuts and, and feel the blow off and feel the throwaway due to, you know, this financial uh, crisis, really, that the country is in. I mean, in a minute, we're not even going to be able to pay our bills. But you know what? That's what's happening But you know country. what? You know, this is a manufactured crisis. This is this debt ceiling debate is a sham because it's really about Congress paying off our credit card. It's paying the bills that we've already racked up. Mm -hmm. And both Democrat and Republican presidents, you know, this has been sort of very routine. And the fact that Republicans are willing to play with the credit of the United States, with our economy, you know, this is gonna impact real people. Real people who depend on SNAP benefits would be impacted by this, but also our nation's seniors are gonna be impacted by this. This bill, would require able-bodied adults up to the age of 55 to work a minimum of 20 hours per week or fulfill other criteria in order to receive SNAP benefits for more than three months every three years, right? And so you may say, well, three months every three years, you know, nothing wrong with that. It always starts here and it's gonna, it's gonna increase and increase and increase. And so if Democrats know better, they better hold the line the president put out uh, a tweet recently uh, that suggested that he wasn't for it, uh, but we, we need uh, uh, the White House to hold the line on this because make no mistake about it, a lot of our soulmates will be impacted if the Republicans are successful. Yeah, sham or no sham, you know, manufactured or not, we're on the front lines and we are going to really take and feel the hit. I agree with you on, on that part of the point. All right, let's move on here. During a debate on an education bill in North Carolina, in the North Carolina House, a white legislator interrupted his black colleague with a question about his educational achievements. Republican Representative Jeff uh, McNeely asked Democratic Representative Abe Jones, you see him pictured here, if he could have succeeded at Harvard University without being, quote, an athlete or a minority. The comment sparked shock and outrage with House Democratic leader Robert Reeves calling it out of line. McKeeley apologized, McNeely rather, apologized, and the floor returned to Jones, who defended his accomplishments, citing his own hard work and high ranking at Harvard. Jones accepted McNeely's apology, stating that he believed there was no ill intent. Well, he that if you well I'm, I'm glad somebody thinks that because I don't agree with that. I think there was ill intent. Absolutely. I thought this was more than a micro uh, aggression. And raise your hand if you've ever been in a similar situation where folks have, have challenged the merit of your ability your to be able to secure a job mm -hmm. or admission to a university. When I read this story, Courtney, I thought about when I got my acceptance letter to USC, mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a former friend of mine in high school um, who said, well, you know, if I could check, a, uh, check black on a box, I guess I would get into USC too. This was a pretty high achieving oh. friend of mine that did not get in. Um, and so often, whether it's university admissions or it's a job, People think that we're getting in just because we're black, mm -hmm. not because we're qualified, not because we work hard. And, and so that legislator knew exactly what he was doing, and that's why uh, that other legislator called him on it. Yeah, I don't know if I would have been so quick to accept the apology. That would have rubbed me a little bit longer, and, and he would have had to do a lot more than apologizing because it was just so blatant. And, um, you know, that white politician who said that he felt that thing, that's why he said it. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I applaud the good brother for being able to, you know, turn, turn the cheek, but uh, that would have been a little difficult for me up in that house. Well, speaking of... Uh, 
overcoming something that's just a little bit difficult, more than a little bit difficult. Yemi Mobilade, an independent candidate and Nigerian immigrant, made history as the first elected black mayor of Colorado Springs. Defeating a longtime Republican office holder, Mobaldi's victory marks a setback for Republicans in the state, focusing on issues like hiring more police officers, affordable housing, water conservation, and cutting red tape for businesses. Mobilade addressed everyday problems and prioritized the needs of the community. This win highlights the city's growing diversity with over one third of residents being non-white. Wow, okay. Uh, rapper Rick Ross has his eyes set on the political sector. He recently announced his plan to run for mayor of Fayetteville, Georgia, after his permit to host his annual car show was denied due to traffic complaints. Ross expressed his love for Fayetteville on Instagram, stating his intention to run for mayor and bring positive changes to the city. Now, despite the permit denial, Ross remains confident that his car and bike show will still take place on his private property with performances from Gucci Mane and himself. The event is scheduled for June 3rd and Ross is ready to face any challenges that may come his way. He said what he said and he caught a lot. Do it, Rick Ross, do it, run for mayor. You know, in fact, look, you know, I think more people should commit to public service in some way, shape, or form. Nobody says he's got to be mayor forever, but I think there's more than enough room for people with all sorts of different areas of expertise, advantage points uh, to serve their communities. And so, you know, if he wants to do it, run. Running doesn't necessarily mean winning, but run. And, and running and winning doesn't necessarily mean he's the right person for the job. He's a little PO'd about not being able to get this permit to have this function on his private property. I get that. But that does not necessarily mean you are qualified to be mayor, sir. How many times have, have the soulmates gone with somebody because we know them and, you know, and they're not necessarily the best person for the job? That's my concern. And that's no, no hate on Ross. Love him. Love his story. Got his, his Spotify. He's all up in my mm -hmm. Spotify mix. But, you you know, this might not be the appropriate aspiration for, you know, what it is you're a little upset about. At first glance, you may be right. You may be right. This, he may be punching above his weight class here, right? But the process of running for anything, mm -hmm. you know, can, you know, help people to improve and to get better. Um, or it can highlight that they are not the right person for the job. And so you never know if you don't try. Listen. Uh, Fayetteville soulmates will rise up and, and elect him. So if he does and he's serious and he gets it, he better be ready to be somebody's mayor. That's all I'm run, saying. Run, Rick Ross. Love you, run. Rick. <laughs> up next, actor Anthony Anderson is speaking up and calling on the community. We'll tell you what Anderson says we need to open up more about as a people. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, actor Anthony Anderson took to the stage at the Roll with the Punches. It's it's okay not to be okay gala in Washington, D.C., where he passionately advocated for mental health issues. The event aimed to raise awareness and resources while combating the stigma surrounding mental health. It's all inspired by his late half-brother's struggles. Anderson actively seeks to break down barriers and promote conversations about mental health, particularly within our community. That's right. Studies reveal that systemic racism contributes to higher rates of mental health 
uh, mental health problems among black adults. Anderson emphasized the importance of open dialogue and community engagement in addressing this critical issue. And there's one nonprofit organization dedicated to providing empowerment services to help those in need. Their name is Quantify. Yep, their services are to enhance the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual strength of an individual, team, or business. Joining us now is the founder of Quantify and social worker, Professor Dr. Philip J. Roundtree. Welcome to the <laughs> to the Black Report. You know, we got to get all the titles in there. You deserve that. Oh, sure. no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I owe a lot of money. Right? I, okay. We've been talking about getting those things canceled, so hopefully, uh, you know, our mm. president will move along with that mission, right? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, doctor, uh, before we jump into to what Quantify is all about, back in uh, 2018, you did a very powerful TEDx on um, Black Mental Health Matters. I even saw it online. Share with us what made you start advocating for mental health, especially in, a, in our black community. Ah, in short, it's, it's for me, right? I, I, I began advocating for mental health because I never, I, and I'm, I'm mindful of the words that I choose, right? Mm -hmm. I don't struggle with mental health issues, right? I, I, I'm navigating it the best I can with what I have. And so with me experiencing depression and anxiety for a majority of my life, it was important for me to really start having this conversation openly. Um, and, it, and it came as a result of a young man here. I'll, I'll be remiss if I didn't mention his name. His name is Emmanuel Sloan. Here in Philadelphia in 2016, he died by suicide by jumping in front of a train. And so at this point, I had my mental health under quote unquote control. And I, I sat there and I was just thinking, what if he had heard me? What if he had known about my story? He was only 18, 19 years of age. And so from that moment, I, you know, it's that feeling when you feel convicted, right? That's what the, the church folks say. You feel, you feel that mm -hmm, conviction, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, it was important to say, all right, Phil, it's time. It's time to really get out here and tell your story. And so it, it started from there. Wow, I like that word navigate. Yeah. Word substitution is so important because there's a shift right there that you mm -hmm. feel aside from saying I struggle with navigate. I like that. And it's, and it's less judgment. Yeah. It yeah, really yeah. is. That's good, it's Dr. less judgment. That's good. Um, Dr. Rountree, yeah. for those who haven't seen your TEDx, can you square the difference between sort of black mental health needs and the mental health needs of others? You know, what is the difference? What's the distinction between our unique set of needs and the needs of other folks when it comes to mental health? And so we, we all experience trauma just as human beings, right? But I think when we start talking about specifically about black and brown folk, individuals of, of the diaspora, we start to see with some of the, some of the stories that you were referencing, Ku Klux Klan members, uh, children dressing up as Ku Klux Klan members, uh, teachers saying the N-word, right? And so we're talking about this idea of historical trauma that impacts how we show up in our day to day, right? And so people say, oh, it happened 400 years ago. But no, we start to see the effects of what took place 400 years years ago in our day to day. We talk about present day traumas, right? We, we see uh, good brother Neely who, who was murdered, right? Who was murdered on, on the subway. He looks like me. Right. He looks like me. And so when we talk about this idea of, of trauma and how it impacts us, we see it so much. We recognize we're living in a, in a society where white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy and imperialism, as Bell Hook said, is rampant. And so this is something that we're navigating. And I'll say successfully. Mm. Right. Yes, we want to be thriving, 
but just our mere survival just shows how resilient we are as a, as a people. And so that differs from other groups, not to say they don't have necessarily their own issues. But for me, I'm, I'm concerned about black liberation and black folk. There you go. There you go. And so, so are we. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have this trauma. And so let's take a look at the resources that your nonprofit quantify uh, as we lay that trauma uh, on top of the resources. How is it that you go about impacting uh, some of the some of the things that you just listed in the in that response? And and how did uh, quantify actually get started? And so as far as to take the latter first, quantify got started in 2016. Once I and I always attribute Meek Mill as the reason why mm. I'm out here speaking. I, I once Emmanuel Sloan had died, I reached out to his school and I didn't hear anything back. Right. And Meek Mill, this is when he was on 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 probation. He's been on he was on probation for a long time. And he was at that same exact school. And this shows you the power of social media. I went on there and said, Hey, I reached out to this school and I didn't hear anything back. And so they reached out to me and they brought me in to have this conversation and this started from there. And so I started Quantify some months later, um, just because again, I, I, I realized the, the importance of having these types of conversations and offering services and resources to people to help them better navigate life. I always say like, you know, we as a people, we survived, right? Mm -hmm. We're amazing at surviving, but it's our inherent right as human beings to thrive, right? And so for me, that looks like I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a therapist, so I, I do individual therapy. I'm a professor. And so when I'm in these in the in the college setting, in these classrooms, I'm making sure that I'm checking in on these students who have undertaken a huge responsibility that they, they might not even be aware of. And so for me, it's just always about being community driven. Even the space that I'm in now, and this is where I started my hashtag you good man men's group at Uncle Bobby's Coffees and Book here in Philadelphia because I recognized that it was a lot of brothers like me who just wanted to have healthy conversation with other brothers, right? Because white supremacy and this idea of patriarchy and masculinity that often stops us from having this important dialogue with one another. And so for me, anytime I can, I can be around community and, and speak truth to power, then that's what I'm gonna do. For the, for the, the brothers and sisters that are walk, watching right now, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the, the variety of services, the empowerment services that Quantify offers. And so what specifically can people go to Quantify for? So I, I am a, a, a individual therapist. I am a couples therapist. I am a, a speaker, so I speak at colleges and universities. I'll come to your cookout if you say, hey, Phil, <laughs> you ain't gotta say Dr. Phil, you can just hit me up and say, Phil, hey, come have these conversations. Whether it's one person there, whether it's a thousand people there, you're gonna always get that same energy from me. Um, I'm also a strength and conditioning coach, and we recognize this idea of, of of holistic wellness, right? And how everything is interrelated. And that's what Quantify is. It's the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, spiritual wellness. And if there's a deficit in one, then there's more than likely to be a deficit in another. And so anything that I can do with the services that I offer, um, I do. Absolutely. We before we let you go, we definitely want to stay connected. Follow you across social media. We have listed here your your dot net. Uh, give us that information so we can we can link up with you. 
Okay, you can check out my website, uh, merch. That must be a reason for me to say I sell merch as well. Uh, quantifyllc.net. You can check me out on, on Instagram. You can check me out on Twitter, on Facebook at Phil underscore Roundtree. My whole purpose is to get folk to think. I want you to not only think about your wellness, but I want you to think about everything that's taking place in this society and, and how as a, as a collective, as, as black folk, as folk of the diaspora, again, how can we be better for one another? Because it's all about community. Doc, Dr. Roundtree, before we let you go, I want to ask you for those wanting to take their mental health just a bit more seriously or for folks that just want help mm-hmm. um, and just don't know where to start, what would you recommend as a first step? Yeah, leave us with a little nugget here. Uh, the first step is, is acknowledgement, right? Uh, you don't need to have fancy words, depression, anxiety. If you say, if you wake up or if you're going throughout your day and say, I don't feel right, I don't like how I'm feeling, then that's enough, right? Then that's enough. And then what you want to do is if you if you can engage with somebody who has that knowledge, that wherewithal, do a Google search, right? Or how to find a, a therapist and we'll make sure we, we get a culturally competent therapist. Uh, then other things, right? Like like taking care of yourself physically. Hey, step outside, go for a walk, take in some of the sun, right? These are things that help us with our wellness if we're not in that position to see a therapist immediately, right? These are just some some basic things that we can that we can do. I think we got a resident uh, um, um, counselor, a, a resident doctor, a resident trainer, a resident soul brother number one. Soul you mates, have been blessed as a soul. You got to come back, good doctor. Our soul mates ain't gonna find a Dr. Phil no. like this Dr. Phil. No, Anywhere no. else, but right here on Fox Souls Black Report. God, we thank amazing. you, brother. Thank you so much. We appreciate oh, thank you. Thanks you, for thank your time. I appreciate you for having yeah, me. Yeah, we definitely gonna have you back now, that's for sure. Oh, listen, I'm always here for the people. We love it. We love it. Take care. All right, Pete. All righty. A new study published in JAMA highlights the significant racial disparities in health and mortality rates between black and white Americans. Over a period of two more than uh, over a period of more than two decades, that is the higher mortality rate among black Americans led to one point six three. 1.63 million excess deaths compared to white Americans. Uh, The result, uh, this resulted in a loss of over 80 million years of life for the black population. Progress in closing the mortality rate gap stalled from 2011 to 2019, and the COVID-19 pandemic further exacerbated the disparities. Now, the study underscores the urgent need to address systemic racism and improve the health outcomes of black Americans who face higher rates of heart disease, cancer, and infant mortality. And the quarter line, the conversation continues. We've talked so much about this right here on The Black Report. You're right, and, and it is, this is a reminder that for us, longevity is a justice issue. Mm-hmm. So often when we you know, look at the magazines and you know, we're scrolling through our feed, we think that wellness and longevity is connected to green juice mm-hmm. and yoga you know, uh, and lots of vacations and self-care. That may be part of it, but it's not all of it. And just as you mentioned in the story, you know, our deaths are typically fueled by higher rates of heart disease, cancer, and infant mortality, right? And so these these are areas that we really need to focus on. I know in my own family, cardiovascular-related issues, you know, are present on both my mom and dad's side. And so what does that mean, you know, for me in terms of my day-to-day? It means I gotta eat better, it means I got to work out 
You know, it means I got to manage my stress, right, uh, in order to live the long life that I'm claiming. And I'd like to see more of an emphasis on managing, or as the good doctor said, navigating your mental health as a part of that list, because I, I think there's a clear connection. And if you really want to delve into some of these statistics and findings and research, there's a clear connection between, you know, balancing and navigating your mental health and well-being and longevity. Mm -hmm. You know, you see folks all the time who have reached that, you know, late 90s, 100 marks say, you know, they don't stress it, they pray, they might have a little sip of something. Managing that, I think, plays a big, big deal right alongside with the physical uh, nature of how you have to maintain yourself. So I think that's something that they really need to consider and, and add on that list, especially for us. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Well, it is a sad day for our soulmates in Montana. Are, as they, are, there, officially, soulmates, are there soulmates in Montana? I think there may be a oh, few soulmates in Montana. Okay. Um, because officially, they've become the first state to ban TikTok. Can you believe that? Mm. Montana's governor says that the ban will protect the privacy of people living in the state. TikTok says the ban goes against the freedom of speech of users, but it's not an immediate ban and it won't take effect until next January, so hold tight. For months, there's been talk at the national level to ban the app for all Americans. You know, listen, in this day and age that we live in, anytime you sign up or tap in or give over some information, you know you are really exposing all of yourself to any and everything. I just think with this TikTok, it has much, much, much to do, if not most to do, with the connection uh, to China and that being very uncomfortable with, with the way things, the way we are either are or are not laying in the bed with the with the country um, and I think that's 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 the reason why any other um, platform that you use has just as much privy to your information as TikTok. I just think TikTok is being you know put out there because of the connections with China yeah that's just my opinion I, I, I think you're on to something and, and I think of all things to ban in 2023 the year of our Lord <laughs> you got you got <laughs> Montana Montana's governor banning TikTok not assault weapons, you know, mm. that are part of the epidemic of gun violence in this country, not, you know, some of the other issues that really affect the day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. of everyday people, even in Montana. And so this is just another example of, of elected officials, I think, focused on the wrong things. You yeah. know, it's a solution looking for a problem. Yeah, well, the folks got a little time to fight, I believe. It doesn't go into effect until the top of the year. I don't know, you know, what kind of wiggle room uh, the, the folks have to ride, raise up and say, hey, Governor, this, you know, this is not what we want. But um, he put it out there and it's, it's happening, uh, it's you, a thing. You can definitely expect this to play out in the courts. I think I saw that the ACLU, among other groups, is mm -hmm. saying this, is, this is unconstitutional, it yeah. violates people's free speech rights and plus you know people like scrolling through the TikTok. Mm. TikTok do, is a do, big deal. Doing, doing a little dance yeah, on I don't the spend TikTok. a lot of time on TikTok but it is a big deal. TikTok and Instagram are like this right and so I couldn't imagine you know uh, Instagram you know without those TikTok videos and so somebody's got to figure something out. Still ahead being called on in a time of need. That's right when we return why the family of Jordan Neely is requesting Reverend Al Sharpton. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, the family of Jordan Neely has invited the Reverend Al Sharpton to deliver his eulogy at his funeral service in Harlem. The longtime civil rights activist was asked to speak at the Mount Nebo Baptist Church when the 30-year-old is laid to rest. That's according to the senior pastor, the Reverend Johnny Melvin Green. That's the Neely's family pastor. This comes after the Reverend recently spoke on Neely's death. This man that choked Jordan and the two that helped hold him down need to face the weight of the law. Neely died from compressions to the neck in the deadly New York subway incident. Daniel Penny, a former U.S. Marine, is facing a felony charge of second degree manslaughter for placing Neely in a chokehold for up to 15 minutes. That's that's it right there. The chokehold for more than 15 minutes. And when you look at that video, you can see life leaving that man. You can see it. And not only this Marine, but there were uh, two other, if I, if I can remember correctly, two other people mm -hmm. helping uh, to restrain uh, Jordan, um, who I also believe should be uh, looked at. He, the life was leaving him, his eyes were rolling in his head, and they were still you know, holding his arms down while he was in this chokehold. So not just this ex-Marine here, but there were a other couple people, if you take a look at that video, who were involved in the death of this young man. And you know, this case is not just about that Marine who, you know, is up on second degree manslaughter charges. Um, a lot of people say, you know, it should be murder charges, but it is second degree manslaughter for now. It's not just about him being on trial, it's vigilantism being on trial. Do we really want to live in a country where, whether he's a Marine or not, somebody can take your life into their hands, literally take your life into their hands and choke you to death. Mm -hmm. Do we really want to live in a country where it's acceptable to do that on a subway train in a major city in this country? This didn't happen down in the South. This didn't happen in some community that, that, is, that is stewing in, in racism. This happened in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this trial is not just about the Marine. This trial is also about us. What kind of country do we want to live in? Well, maybe there's blurred lines between was he actually, you know, keeping that subway platform or the train safe from what, you know, was first reported, which was that, you know, um, Jordan was being, you know, irate and, and attacking people. So I think as this as this process moves along, it's going to be interesting to hear some of the testimony, maybe from witnesses, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, the intention uh, it sounds like it wasn't there. That's why you get the second degree manslaughter. But was he actually protected? Because we, we want to be able to have the right to protect one another. Mm -hmm. I just think that this Marine may have went too far in doing that. So I'm a, I'm a lay back. Yes, he needs to be charged. I'm a lay back and see, you know, what more of the facts were, because I don't want people to stop, you know, defending or, or operating on behalf of other people if, if they're being violated and that person can't defend themselves. But you, you know, know what? what I'm you know what? Reverend Al Sharpton is the one to deliver this eulogy. And, and to lay out you know, some of the, the, the larger issues that stem from this, mm -hmm. but also to remind people about the life of Jordan Neely. Right, you know, it's, it, it's so easy to get caught up in talking about the Marine and talking about homelessness and all the issues that are a part of this story. But I think Reverend Al is the right person to deliver this eulogy to bring it back to Jordan Neely and his life. Uh, and so we'll absolutely be watching that.
A recent Associated Press examination has found that black victims and their families are disproportionately denied funeral compensation in many states, often for subjective reasons that experts say are rooted in racial biases. In some states, including Indiana, Georgia, and South Dakota, black applicants were nearly twice as likely as white applicants to be denied from 2018 through 2021. The denials added up to thousands of black families each year collectively missing out on millions of dollars in aid. The AP found disproportionately high denial rates in 19 out of 23 states uh, willing to provide detailed racial data, the largest collection of such data to date. If you didn't know, every state has a program to reimburse victims for lost wages, medical bills, funerals, and other expenses, awarding hundreds and millions, hundreds uh, and millions of dollars uh, each year. Yeah, this is uh, just another example of some of the inequities that exist. And mm -hmm. so, you know, even when people lose their lives, you know, access to the benefits that their families need in order to give them a proper burial, you know, or the victims of violent crimes need, you know, while they're on the mend, the fact that there are disparities even in that, mm -hmm. you know. And so, you know, this conversation that we're having about reparations across the country, for example, I think people get hung up on, you know, the, the, uh, the cash compensation piece of it, which is one piece of, of that proposal. But this is an example of an area that could make a big difference in the lives of people that experience violent crime and their families that lose loved ones to violent crime, you know, if we made these resources more available, particularly for the black ones. And I know we got to move on, but I, I wanted to dig a little deep and, and ask the question or try to figure out why was this happening? It boils down to those state employees looking over those applications. They're looking over police reports. They're looking over questionnaires that are filled out by police officers that may contain some racial biases based upon the way they feel. We know the issues, culturally speaking, with police. And so, you know, it has to do with the way that those state employees are processing, you know, those applications. And sometimes, you know, yeah, we could play the race card, but sometimes, you know, how many times do we as soulmates get on one another's nerves? And we could be reading a case and have some kind of implicit bias as well, even when the case is a black case. So I wanted to kind of get to why it is happening and it really boils down to the state employees making a decision based upon how they feel about what they're reading and what they're processing. Mm -hmm. Well moving along to uh, DC where Vice President Kamala Harris recently convened a small business roundtable of more than 35 black and Hispanic male business owners. Those businesses come from various industries like finance and technology to beauty and fashion to discuss ways the Biden-Harris administration can better support minority entrepreneurs. Seated at the head of the table, Harris said she and administration officials invited the group of predominantly black men to share their stories of success and the challenges that they face in growing their businesses. The Small Business Roundtable was the latest in a series of meetings the vice president has held with young men of color at the White House. I love it. You know, I think I think they're 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 adding up, you know, piling up those receipts. We are entering into an election season and we do know by way of some of our conversations and concerns with that last election that, you know, we talk about the black vote being dismissed, but even there's even a subgroup which is you black men mm -hmm. who who felt that hey, we're really 
really not being heard, you know, times 10. So to take some time out to um, really delve into the agenda and the welfare and the well-being of black men, not only uh, is the VP doing uh, this, we just talked the other day about Obama and his initiative and how they have continued to, to carry on even after his uh, White House days. And it's just good to see because I think when you talk about the, the totem pole, uh, black people being at the bottom, I think, you know, black men are, are even at the bottom of the bottom. Yeah. So it's good to see them being front and center. And I really like just the fact that they are treating us with dignity. Uh, they are inviting these brothers to the table. Mm -hmm. They ain't just going out to a barbershop mm -hmm. saying, you know, what you want to talk about. You know, but access to capital, it matters to, to our community. And so it's good to see those brothers there with the vice president. All right, let's go to New York where Mayor Eric Adams has called out the paparazzi for uh, tailing Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in an alleged near catastrophic high-speed chase, saying the whole thing is irresponsible and dangerous. Mayor Adams weighed in on the incident during a public safety announcement about retail theft, calling the whole thing especially reckless in New York City because of the defense of the dense, rather, population and traffic. Uh, you know, I think the reaction to this story uh, has been triggered by the fact that that's how Prince Harry's mother, Princess Diana, mom. died, mm -hmm. right? And he writes in his book, The Spare, that this is really one of his greatest fears. It was one of the motivators for him to step back uh, from being a senior royal, you know, and, you know, to really protect his wife because he did not want what happened to his mom to happen to his wife. And so I would imagine there's a little bit of PTSD kicking in, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for him and the family. I wonder if King Charles has reached out to Harry or if Prince William has reached out to his brother, recognizing that, that uh, this could be a very um, triggering event, mm -hmm. um, not just for him, but for the entire family. And who knows, you know, maybe this might be their way of beginning to come together. And I also want to know if Meghan is okay. I'm, 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 I'm interested in hearing, you know, her response. It must have been frightening. Um, you know, and she is definitely, you know, one, one of our soulmates, uh, someone that we, we, we definitely claim as being a part of our culture. And, um, you know, she just wants to be married and, and love on this man and, and have babies and, and, be, and be whoever she is she wants to be. And the fact that, you know, she has to contend with this um, is pretty scary. It's yeah. pretty scary. It is. Well, I'll tell you what's not scary. Coming up, Serena Williams, she may not no longer be competing but she's still winning. Oh, absolutely she is. When we return, we'll tell you all about her newest project, expected just a little bit later on this year. Stay close, soulmates. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox News Black Report. Well, actress Gabrielle Union is opening up about her relationship and finances and it's causing quite the conversation. She said what she had said was what she said her, her and her husband Dwayne Wade split all of their bills 50 50. The revelation is raising a lot of eyebrows past couple days on social media considering Wade's net worth is about 170 million compared to her uh, 40 million. Oh wow they're both millionaires. Oh okay. Yeah, well if that's the way they want to chop it up God bless them you know. And she, she's really into this modern woman thing and hear me roar, roar. And if this is how she wants to, you know, lay it out in, in her home, then, you know, God bless it. Now, if Dwayne Wade was my husband. Then what? 
my 40 million would be my 40 million and his 170 oh, would be our 170. Oh, no, I'm just Lord. I'm just saying I just feel like, you know, for me, the dynamic, he would just take care of everything. And, and I wouldn't nickel and dime him on things, you know, groceries. This, 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 this. But I think he would just be, you know, the one to take care of it. My husband would want to. I, I think I think every every marriage is different. Every relationship is different. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I suspect that they probably decided early on that this relationship was going to be a partnership and a 50-50 partnership in a lot of different ways. And, you know, this is just one example for our soulmates to see that, hey, you know, this is a relationship that seems to work. You know, this is a blended family. You know, they are, looks like they're living their best life. And so it looks like it's working for them. But I mean, together they have over $200 million. I mean, because they're married. So it's their money. So, you know, it's their money. So whether he takes care of maybe the big ticket items and she, you know, does more of the littler bills, however it breaks down, it's however it works for them. I just know that for me, I wouldn't be paying no bills. It wouldn't be 50-50 I, I I, I, You know, partnership is good. This yeah. is an example of partnership. I'm with it. I'm, I practice it, too. Just saying. As Beyonce's Renaissance tour makes its way through Europe, we're learning that the singer is bringing along Natalia Bryant as an intern. Best internship ever. Oh, my goodness. A social media user posted a photo showing Bryant listed as an intern in the Renaissance tour credits. This isn't the first time the 20-year-old has worked alongside Beyonce. She partnered with her now discontinued clothing brand Ivy Park for a campaign in 2021. The Renaissance tour makes a stop in Atlanta for three nights. And so all of our soulmates mm -hmm. in Atlanta know that starting on August 11th, yeah. go ahead and cuff it. And I was looking at the uh, schedule, and, and that's the one city where she stays a little bit longer uh, than most other cities might have. May have two nights, but she's going to spend a lot of time yeah. in, in, the, in the Peach State, for Al sure. Atlanta going to lose. Atlanta yeah. going to shut down. Yeah. Atlanta is going to shut down yeah. for Beyonce. And this is one of the black capitals of the country. It's one of the gay capitals of the country. You know, uh, you know we, who doesn't love, you know, a Beyonce performance? She is just a, an incredible entertainer. Yeah. Right? And she is putting on a show. I think I just saw people sort of tweeting based on the shows she's done already. They say right now, this is the best show on earth. You, right now. Somebody is Bar excited. You Barnum must have tickets. Bailey, eat your heart you, out because this is the new you must best have tickets. show on earth. You must have tickets. I do have tickets. I'm going to see her on her birthday. That's what I was trying to get you to say. That's why you're excited. Oh, shoot. It's supposed to be a surprise. Well, <laughs> you would have gave away the surprise now. But surprise, to, babe. Uh, We're going to see Beyonce. Big ups to uh, Natalia uh, getting out there, oh, living her life. I mean, you know, under such such st a stressful uh, situation. So we got to give kudos to her. We know you you kind of, you know, roll with the Beyonce thing. But congrats Don't to we you, all? Natalia. It was a story about Natalia. Bye. Tennis superstar Serena Williams is letting the cameras in and putting her life on full display in a new ESPN docuseries. It's called In the Arena, Serena Williams. Serena has uh, had a long uh, standing career in the world of tennis. She's the GOAT, making her both an athletic and cultural icon. The docuseries will highlight some of her most defining career and uh, personal moments. It will also feature firsthand accounts from key people in her life. I'm excited about that. Me too. We love to see it. Look, mm -hmm. I love a good doc. And, you know, I think the best documentaries out there share with us 
tidbits and information about people, mm -hmm. particularly really public people, mm -hmm. that we didn't know, yeah. right? And so that's the bar for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be looking for that in this documentary. You know, tell us something that we don't know about Serena. You and me both, it's gonna be good to look at. Because you know, that King Richard film was it. It was good. It was really it good. It was really good. Yeah. Well, some good news for Tiger Woods. Lord knows he needs it. Tiger Woods scores a victory in court. As a judge says, Tiger's ongoing dispute with ex-girlfriend Erica Herman must be settled through arbitration. A Florida judge ruled that his ex-girlfriend must abide by the non-disclosure agreement she apparently signed. Erica Herman tried to get the agreement thrown out, accusing Woods of sexual harassment. She claims he pursued a sexual relationship with her while she worked at his restaurant and forced her to sign an NDA or she'd be fired. The judge called Herman's allegations vague. What say you, Courtney Hicks? She should have known. By the way, <laughs> the way he hoodwinked. Should have known what? The way he hoodwinked and bamboozled his way out of that relationship and got her out of his house. She should have known Tiger don't play no game. Tiger don't care. All she has to do is pull up some of his receipts. It's all across right. social media right. with his past dealings with with girlfriends and and a wife. Girl, I just I just gotta say it was so cold blooded how Tiger in this on relationship a vacation. sent her with a suitcase to the airport. Uh, to go on some vacation and that, moved her that out never the house. happened and moved her out the house. Oh, it happened. She came back and his people met her at the airport saying, you ain't coming back to his house. Cold-blooded. Yeah. Tiger cold-blooded woods. Yes, indeed. Okay, so coming up, it's our favorite segment all about black excellence. And we're going to talk a little bit about the field of aviation. That's right. We'll introduce you to the 23-year-old pilot who's looking to make black history. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. We'll be right back. You gave Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, a Madison, Mississippi student received almost $3 million in scholarship wow. offers from 38 colleges all over the country. Wow, uh, Taylor Heron is from uh, Madison and uh, she attended Germantown High School and the Mississippi School of the Arts for her 11th and 12th grade years. The talented senior has received numerous state, regional and national awards for her art, including the Congressional Art Competition and now her uh, artwork is currently on display at the United States uh, Capitol. That's right, Taylor is vice president of the Diversity Club, a student government Association floor representative, and she's on the prom court hmm. that she's set to graduate from on May 26th and encourages other high schoolers to, quote, stay positive and remember to be appreciative, humble, and gracious. Taylor, we see you. You are an honorary soulmate and you are an inspiration to our nation. Good for her. All right, 23-year-old Leona Soreo, a U.S. pilot, is looking to become the first black woman to fly around the world solo. She was born in the U.S., but raised in the Democratic Republic of Congo. She plans to begin her historic three-month journey in August from New York before stopping in 33 countries and four continents to accomplish this.
this feat. Soraya says there's only 5% of women who are commercial pilots and black women make up only 0.09%, something she wants to help change. Soraya says that Bessie Coleman, the first licensed black female pilot in 1921, mm. and Barrington Irving, the first black pilot to fly around the world solo in 2007, both serve as a huge motivation for her. I just wanted to be safe, just be safe. That is an amazing feat to attempt, and I'm just, you know, just safe. I, look, you know, I think this is incredible. You know, reach for your dreams, make your dreams happen. Yeah. You know, uh, we had uh, Omar Brock on uh, some months ago who uh, runs the Omar Brock Foundation, teaching young people about aviation and mm -hmm. careers and life in aviation. And so, you know, we want to see more young people sort of reach for the stars. Yes, indeed. All right, for the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access shows and other black-centered content. Don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It is free. I am Courtney Hicks. And I am Nicordelai Corte. Happy Thursday. Thanks for inviting us in your homes on behalf of all of the team here at Fox Souls Black Report. Stay lifted.